Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.eg to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Today on the Patriots Report, it's NFL National Insider for the Athletic, Jeff Howe. We talk about what sort of off-season priorities await the Patriots. We play a game of will they stay or will they go with some of New England's biggest pending free agents and debate the futures of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Jeff is my guy. No one knows the ins and outs of the league better than him, and I'm excited to talk with him today. That's up next on the Patriots Report. Jeff, tell me if I'm off base here. The three biggest needs for this Patriots team this offseason, and really in no particular order, you can kind of put them whatever order you want. Offensive tackle, wide receiver, and defensive back, especially if Devin McCourty is done. If that sounds about right, are there good fits for them when it comes to their team building? Like, is this going to be a good draft, say, for for tackles? Or will the you know will free agency and you know with the understanding look there's a lot of time between now and then but it, but could free agency be good for them when it comes to defensive backs or wide receivers? Well, I do agree that those are the three biggest needs. Uh, unless you can get like one of those dynamic, not like you can replicate a, a Micah Parsons, but like if you can get a dynamic playmaking linebacker, somebody like that would be huge, just in the middle of the field. But yeah, I mean they don't have a number one corner unless Jack Jones really develops into one. Uh, although you know you wonder. Yeah, what is the sustainability with the late season suspension there? Uh, there are reasons why he fell so far in the draft. I mean, I spoke to somebody uh, at some point last year who said that he was their top-ranked corner, and they they weren't interested in drafting him. And then you saw the suspension. So he's got the talent to be a number one, but you know that aside, they still are looking for a number one. It seems like they have constantly been looking for a number one receiver, really, since Julian Edelman mm-hmm. uh went down with some injuries toward the end of his career and then ultimately retired. So that's a huge one. Number one, absolutely tackle. Uh, I think the free agency route is probably more conducive to finding the right guy. The problem is you have to commit huge financial resources. Now you could look at what's going to happen with Taylor Luan uh, with Tennessee. Is he going to be let go? I mean, what are they going to, he'd be a good fit if they think that he is still, still has a year or two left it's a tough draft to need a tackle unless you know you're going to get the top one, maybe the top two. I'm not sure they have a guy there in the middle of the first round that they can be like ecstatic about again, unless one of those top one or two guys falls, but how how often does that happen? So they're in a bit of a tough spot there. I mean, I do expect some turnover. I, I would be very surprised if Isaiah Wynn were back, even if he were, you need a, con- a contingency plan. Uh, but yeah, those are the three needs, starting with tackle, no doubt, and then kind of sort them out from there. In terms of the tackle position, how much of a question is it when you're assessing a prospect, if you're the Patriots, that you're going to run what you ran last year, kind of that zone look, and, and you maybe want someone a little bit more athletic, or if you're going back to what you did in the previous incarnation, you know, when, when Bill O'Brien was there, and you want maybe someone a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit taller? 
I would be, I would expect them to go back to their more traditional system. I mean, that's why they went after O'Brien, which I thought was the right move. But if you are interested in truly seeing this thing through and trying to go after a McVeigh or a Shanahan type, then you would have interviewed somebody like Zach Robinson or, or somebody from one of those trees. And off the top of my head, I don't believe they did. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that, you know, <laughs> I remember talking to somebody probably about a year ago and they described the Patriots playbook and it's the offensive version, or I mean, really in totality since Belichick got here. And the thing was described as like this <laughs> mountainous book because they always wanted to be able to call up, okay, you know, we're trying to do this. Let's go back to the 2004 chapter and see how we did it. Um, so it, you're never going to like use that actual playbook, but the master copy sounds like something that, you know, would sell for a gajillion dollars if we were ever put up for auction. Uh, but anyway, getting way off topic here. Uh, I do believe it's going to revert back to what they had done. Everything that they tried last year didn't work. Uh, they didn't have the right guy in place. I mean, you're trying to, you know, you can always look at, okay, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, they call this series of plays. They do a great job at it. Let's replicate it. But the problem is they know exactly how they want to counter certain defenses when a defense starts to adjust to you. You know, they'll have guys on staff who are saying, hey, you know what, this didn't work in week six, and now it's week 14, and we're seeing this defense again. How are we going to adapt on the fly? You can't expect a a coach who is not fully immersed in that type of system to have the answers to that. It's just not realistic because you can't prepare over the course of years and years and years to be able to handle those adjustments on the fly. So what O'Brien does, you know, what his strengths have been, it it you know he was a he was a very solid offensive coordinator for a long time. We'll see what it looks like without Tom Brady. But again, I think this just all goes back to forget last year. You know, if there are some things that you want to install, maybe O'Brien is equipped to do it. He's a smart guy. Uh obviously has an extensive offensive background, which is important. Uh and but I think you're you're gonna see more of the Patriots offense that you'd seen in past years or decades. What happens to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge moving forward? Uh, Judge is back, and uh, I think they're still trying to figure out what his role is going to be. Uh, I mean, I honestly, I, I would put it in all three phases as a potential possibility. I mean, offense, defense, special teams. I think they need a huge boost on special teams. Uh, last two years have been substandard. Certainly not what they expect to get. I mean, that cost them games uh, last season. Uh, with Patricia, he's still trying to figure it out, um, what he wants to do, whether he wants to return what that return would look like, I would guess now that they have Adrian Clem in to coach the offensive line, that it would be more of that upstairs role that I've heard he did really well in back in 2021. But there are still coaching staffs kind of filling out their their uh, you know defensive staffs and, and all that stuff. I mean, just a couple new hires on Valentine's Day alone. So people who need, I'm not saying he's going to be a defensive coordinator, but if he's looking for a, fr- a fresh start, you know, he's still going to see out, see through what those opportunities might be. So he's he's more of an, an influx situation. Mike Rodak was uh, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago when we floated the idea of a, basically a Bill O'Brien for Matt Patricia trade. That, you know, Nick Saban loves to rehab guys, loves to rehab their image. The idea of, you know, Matt Patricia going to Alabama, being the Alabama defensive coordinator. I don't know how much you know truth there is there, but it's certainly an intriguing possibility. He's he's just one of those fascinating guys who, and I think 
if I'm hearing you right, there is the potential for kind of an Ernie Adams-ish role for him within the organization moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he did. He wore a lot of hats in 21 uh, in terms of handling some of the contracts, uh, like like the advisory role that Adams had. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would be really surprised if he were back on the offensive staff in some capacity. That doesn't mean you wouldn't see him at practice. I mean, you know how it is. All those front office guys are always at practice in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, Dante Scarnecchia a few years ago raving about the work that Patricia did to help him on the offensive line back in, I think it was 05. I mean, he's got some experience there. He could work in some sort of advisory role. I mean, if he needs to get in on some of those blocking drills or whatever, I mean, he's not going to be the guy, but, you know, there's the possibility is there for him to do a lot of different types of things. But I think he is better suited if he does return to have more of a behind the scenes role based off of the way last season went. What, if anything, can the Patriots take from the two Super Bowl teams, specifically the Eagles? When it comes to constructing their roster, because the Eagles were a pretty bad team a couple of years ago, 4-11-1, and one, and they were a couple of plays away from winning the Super Bowl this time around. Yeah, um, I was actually, I was going to work on a Hassan Reddick story if the Eagles had won, and I spoke to Howie Roseman about him and why was he a target in the offseason, and he said, I mean, it was pretty straightforward, all you got to do is look at the stats. They had... I can't remember if it was 29 or 31 sacks in 2021. They were second to last in the league. So they went after Hassan Reddick, who had two extremely productive years, his last one in Arizona, then the one year in Carolina. And he said he was their number one priority because they wanted to revamp their passwords. They want to be an attacking type of team. And, and they hit. I mean, he was a massive success. And he had a huge first half in the Super Bowl, too. Um, just everything sort of fell apart in the wrong direction for them in the second half. But... Reddick was a great acquisition. They also, you know, a lot of the moves that Roseman made over the last two years or so really built toward this season. Going and getting Darius Slay, I mean, that was another home run. Like, they nailed that. Getting uh, Gardner Johnson, who was kind of wearing out his favor in New Orleans. And he was an awesome player for them. So uh, I think my, my advice would be, Go, uh, you know, six for six in free agency. <laughs> um, and stay completely healthy, you know, at all the major spots and just have everything hit for you. Yeah, I mean, and then look at what um, what Reddick helped do. Uh, actually, I, I used the line, I think, when I was talking to Jonathan Gannon, I was like, I'm not trying to make this sound like a Disney movie. You know, you bring in Hassan Reddick. He has the best sack total of his career. The next four guys... Uh, in their sack rankings also had the the next three had his career years and sack totals. The fifth had his best year in five years. So bringing in Hassan Reddick helped a lot of guys do a lot of things better. The Patriots have two really good pass rushers in Judon and Uche and Barmore on the inside. Of course. I mean, if you are able to just add one more, I mean, that helps again, you get that playmaking linebacker. If you can, they don't grow on trees, but my goodness, do they help your defense? If you can find one. So, and then Sirianni and that offensive mind, I mean, he, he's just light years ahead of where the Patriots were offensively last season. So, and you're seeing that now with the way his, his uh, coordinators were just poached. So um, you need, you need a better offensive system. You need guys to execute the things that they do well. And O'Brien and Mac Jones together, I think, 
uh, have a much better chance to do that than the position that they were in a year ago. You wrote for The Athletic, I think, this week in the wake of the Super Bowl. You said Chris Jones was maybe the most underrated defensive player in the NFL. Tell me why. Well, seeing the Patriots-Chiefs battles up close and personal uh, toward the end of the last decade, I mean, I've always been fascinated by him as a player. Just doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. And, you know, it's hard when you play the same position as Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt to get those first team all-pro votes or to get a defensive player of the year vote. This was just the first time he has ever gotten a defensive player of the year vote. I mean, he had 15 and a half sacks uh, four or five years ago, whatever it was. Um, But a a total game wrecker for a long time. You know, you look at Tyron Matthew, but for a long time, you could say that he was probably the Chiefs' best defensive player on a defense that um, for a couple of years wasn't very good. And this year they're better. Um, And then the other side of it is I thought Frank Clark brought up something really interesting. He was like, the type of team we're on, like the defensive guys aren't going to get that credit because everybody looks at Patrick Mahomes in the mm-hmm. offense. And he actually, uh, this was on media night. He's like, you know, look at the Patriots in those Tom Brady years. And like, I'll bet somebody a hundred bucks. They couldn't name all 11 defensive starters on some of those Super Bowls. And I'm like, should I take his money right now? <laughs> I, I, I Right here. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that bet. I didn't want to make him feel bad, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, there's a lot of truth to that because how many people can name six or seven defensive starters on the chiefs right now i mean and the spotlight that mahomes has garnered is so well deserved i mean it it, it's absolutely a legitimate point but chris jones has flown under the radar because so many people focus on different things with that organization but i've i've always been fascinated with him as a player reading your story he reminded me a little bit bringing it back to that new england comparison a little bit of richard seymour oh yeah absolutely big physical presence a guy who can play multiple spots you know interior by trade but can move over the tackle if necessary uh, i mean i i loved the way they did it against uh cincinnati when they were having some uh, line troubles they put him over the tackle all of a sudden he starts going after he gets after joe burrow play after play after play uh just a, a great job by spagnolo moving that chess piece around and you saw it for years with, with seymour all right, I'm going to read you a list of seven guys, New England players, who are unrestricted free agents. Give me your best guess right now. And again, look, there's a lot of time between now and the start of free agency. I understand that. But as we sit here right now, the middle of February, on whether these guys will stay or go. Start with Nelson Aguilar. He's probably gone. I just, I think you got to upgrade a wide receiver. I don't think standing pat is necessarily the way to go here. So, Unless it's for a uh, markedly cheaper contract than the one he originally signed two years ago. I think he's gone. Devin McCourty. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I'm not prepared to live in a world where Devin McCourty's not playing football. And I'll I say, feel you. I, I'm yeah. right there with you, man. I'm I, right there with you. I, uh, I'm going to, I'll say the exact same thing about Matthew Slater. Like I just, but there's just been so much talk. You've heard him talk, but like, you know, for like the last two or three years, you're kind of preparing for either one of those guys to retire. And they mm-hmm. just, they get that bug around like late February, early March. And they're like, nope, not ready yet. Uh, man, like, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm thinking clearly on this one, but I think he's back. Okay. I, I'm, I, I have this feeling and we'll, we'll skip ahead now. I had him later in the list, but, but Matthew Slater, I have this, I have this theory on Slater that I'll share with you after you make your, your call. I'll I'll keep him too. I'll, I just ah, 
I can't, I just can't, I don't want to admit that I think that Matthew Slater could retire from football. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I, I have a theory with Slater. He goes back home to Southern California, plays a year with the Rams. I mean, that'd be really interesting, but I think he's, and Jackie finished his career. He he did one year at the end of his career somewhere else, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know where, but I just, it felt like talking with him over the years, there is a level of the only other franchise that he has the same level of respect for. And really the only franchise that he knows as well as the Patriots is the Rams. And I think that that still kind of, you know, that, 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 that might be in the back of his head a little bit. Yeah. But you know, I wonder about uprooting the family. Yeah. You know, it strikes me as somebody who will probably live in the Foxborough area for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know he's a really strong family man. So man, I, uh, and I think he knows that there's a lot of value in, finishing his career with the same team mm-hmm. yeah no i agree with you. i agree with you on both points uh jonathan jones i think he's back because they need to retain leadership in the especially in the event that mccordy and slater retire uh he's one of the strongest leaders on that roster especially on defense and he's a he's a damn good cornerback and i i don't think uh i don't think they want to let him go can you go into uh, the 2023 season with jonathan jones and and Jack Jones is your is your two corners. And I know that I know we talked earlier about the idea of going out and getting a number one cornerback, but barring that, if you re-sign Jonathan Jones and if Jack Jones is in a good headspace going into the 2023 season, that might be enough to kind of cover your cornerback, at least initially. And then you have Marcus and you, and you, have, you have Marcus Jones in the mix as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, interestingly, like I'll, I'm going to counterpoint what I said earlier because the cornerbacks really did play well last year. They played a whole lot better than I expected them to. So if you do run it back with that same top three or four, you know, it's not a crisis situation. I mean, you're certainly, you, you just need to make, I mean, they they were well coached. They played well. They played within the structure of the defense. Um, you know, you don't have a number one guy and, and there is value. Obviously there's value in having a number one cornerback, but um, I don't think they're going to go out and pay somebody like a Jalen Ramsey type contract. Like I just, that just doesn't make it. That doesn't add up. I mean, it's why they let JC Jackson go. There's a reason why those cornerbacks tend to hit the market because they're just, you know, team is unwilling to extend that far. And I, I would be surprised if the Patriots did something like that, but you know, it's, it's really not the end of the world. If you, if you come back with the same group of guys, because they did play well. Jacoby Myers. He is a tough one because he is viewed as the top wide receiver in free agency. Mm-hmm. But I mean, is realistically, you know, I love the story, love what he's done, how he's grown as a player. He's a number two and you can't pay him number one money. So if somebody is going to offer him 15 plus per year, I just, you know, say like comparable to JC Jackson, yeah. like, He's yeah. a number two cornerback. If somebody's yeah. going to offer him number one cornerback money, like the Patriots were never going to do that. It just doesn't make a whole lot of financial sense. The other side of that is, you know, we talked about defensive leadership as it relates to John Jones. I mean, Jacoby Myers is possibly the best leader in that locker room. Uh, one of the better locker room guys that we've seen come through there. So they don't want to lose that, but what's the expense? I mean, if you pay Jacoby Myers competitive money to what he's potentially going to get on the market, you know, that means you're, you're going to lose something somewhere else. Someone is going to pay him bananas, just pay him crazy money. Some, I, I just think someone, someone's going to, I don't want to say overpay for him, but I think your comparison to JC Jackson is an apt one that he is going to get 
really well compensated in the open market and the Patriots are going to have to find a way to kind of fill in that position. So, all right, Isaiah Wynn. Gone. He's yeah, he's gone. I feel pretty confident about that one. I mean, it's just, it hasn't worked out. The injuries have been an issue. The performance has been an issue. Uh, Putting him on the right side of the line last year, I thought was a good idea, but the footwork just, it wasn't adding up. I mean, he just wasn't able to, uh, to make that transition. So unless you're bringing him back at, you know, sub five a year. And I don't even know, I think that might even be too much as somebody that you want to just be a swing tackle, um, somebody that you're comfortable bringing in off the bench, you know, that's fine, but you better have really good starting competition for him. If you bring him back and then you say, I mean, <laughs> I was almost surprised they didn't trade him last year. Although I'm trying to think if the injuries kind of added up around the deadline. I mean, if that was the case and you can't trade him, but the league needs, it's like every time I talk to somebody around the league, they're like, we're always looking for offensive linemen. So I was kind of surprised that a move wasn't there to be had. I think he'll probably get overpaid because people need tackles. And when he's been healthy, which is an extremely rare case, he's been all right. It's just, I don't expect him to come back in New England. Damian Harris. This is a fascinating free agency for running backs. I mean, it's like you got Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs up top. And then you look at the financial um, implications of the running back market, the top eight running back contracts right now, average annual value is between 12 and I believe it gets up to 16 million a year. Then from there, the ninth guy is at 8 million. So there's like this massive gap between eight and 12 million per year um, is, but like the, the market, like what is somebody willing to pay Damian Harris? Is it between five and 8 million? If you can keep him on that number, do it. Um, because he's a good player. He's, he's going to be your number two because Ramondre Stevenson is just so good, but you know, Belichick has done such a great job over the years. And I, I always trace it back to what happened when Corey Dillon went down back in 2005, you know, when they went out the next year, didn't work out, but they drafted Lawrence Maroney in the first round. I mean, didn't work out long-term. He had a couple of decent seasons, but he is always making sure that he's not going to get stuck with just one running back because of what it does for the offense when that guy goes down. And it's obviously such a high injury rate. So I think they're going to try to keep Harris again, another good leader and somebody who's going to help the offense. I'm not sure. Like, what are these, what are the two, uh, running backs that they drafted last year what's their ceiling does mm-hmm. belichick think that either one of those guys can be a number two um you know kevin harris pierre strong i'm not sure but if somebody's going to offer damian harris 10 million per year like if the raiders don't franchise josh jacobs mm-hmm. you know are they going to be interested so it's a uh it's an interesting one i i'll lean toward him returning but i'm big time couching this by saying if somebody offers him a really high contract in a competitive free agency market. So I'm not sure it happens, but if somebody offers him that big contract, I think he's gone. This brings up my favorite Bill Belichick stat of all time. He's never had a running back going all the way back to Cleveland, never had a running back rush for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Never. And and Ramondre Stevenson hit a thousand this year. And so if he can break it, look more power to him but he clearly started to kind of wear down toward the end of the year last year. And I think that depth that you talked about, you know, needing 
being able to turn over that position so consistently, I think that figures into the conversation when you talk about Harris moving forward. I, I agree with you too. I think it's a fascinating market for the running back position. Want to switch gears a little bit? Want to ask you also, a couple real quick? It's also a really good running back draft. So that's, there's okay. That's, this is this is good too, and this is you know it, you know we sit here talking about offensive tackles and wide receivers and defensive backs and watch Bill's going to go out and draft a running back in the first round, right? So. Get Bijan. He'll sell some there, you there you go. Um, want to ask you a couple of league-wide questions before we wrapped up here. Where is Aaron Rodgers playing next year? I man, last year I was so convinced he was leaving Green Bay and he came back. Uh, that's a hard contract to trade. I'm still leaning toward the Packers. Um, we'll see what happens when he gets out of this uh isolation period. Uh, <laughs> to put it mildly. I, I think if it's not there, it's got to be the Jets, but I mean, it's it's an the contract suggests that he's probably going to stay in Green Bay. But if you're Green Bay, you know, you can trade him for probably a couple first round picks and you're going to take a a huge, huge cap hit. You can offset some of that because you've still got a quarterback on a rookie contract, but at least you get to evaluate him. And the other side of that is like if you trade Aaron Rodgers, you're saying, hey, we're rebuilding for at least a year Mm -hmm. and if you take on that cap hit, so be it, because they're not going to win the Super Bowl anyway, unless Jordan Love is, you know, Superman. But I think there is some value in the Packers trading Aaron Rodgers. I just, if he wants to stay in Green Bay, like he did last year, they're not moving him. How about Derek Carr? He was, so, so his trade market, was was non-existent. The Saints were the only team that showed interest. They wanted him to take a pay cut. Carr had no interest. That's why he said he wasn't going to waive his no trade clause. It was basically semantics at this point. The Saints are, they make a lot of sense. If the Jets can't get Aaron Rodgers, I think Carr is going to be their number one choice. So I would say Jets first. If not, then the Saints would be my second guess. Is Carr self-aware enough to know that he might not be as good as he thinks he is? And I asked that question completely seriously. I, I Watching him from afar, he just doesn't appear to understand. Like, look, Raiders fans are going to, you know, have crowned him as the second coming of Ken Stabler and hate Josh McDaniels for driving him out of town. I, tell me what I'm missing here maybe about him. He, uh, you know, they the Raiders, as they showed by giving him that contract last year and giving him the power of that no trade clause that got them into this position, they did believe that he was going to be the guy. He just, there were too many turnovers. He wasn't very clutch toward the end of some games, That's which is why they lost as much as they, I shouldn't say he's why, like their defense was terrible. But um, he was a reason why they lost some of those games. They had a chance to win. I want to say it was like five or six toward the end of the game and just continued to come up empty. Um in terms of like the self-awareness, I mean, that's a hard one for me to get into because I don't think he sucks. Like he's at his best. He is probably somewhere between the 15th and 20th best quarterback in the league. I don't know if you can guarantee that he's going to be at his best or anything like that, but um, you know, that's a tough one because somebody's going to pay him. And I understand why he wouldn't take a pay cut because you get to free agency and you're probably going to get yourself a better contract. Last league-wide question for me. Were you one of the haters who said that the Chiefs were not going to make the playoffs this year? Uh, I don't think I did. I don't think I said they weren't going to make the playoffs. But I was absolutely concerned 
about the offense without Tyreek Hill because a big thing that got Patrick Mahomes into trouble at the end of 21 was his uh, insistence to keep going down the field. Like they would get off of that opening script when they would move everything horizontally mm-hmm. and you take that short stuff and they looked unstoppable. And then you get out of that, you know, you blew that lead. I think it was 21-3 against the Bengals in the playoffs. Like that was probably the fourth or fifth example of them getting themselves into trouble because they just kept trying to throw the thing down the field. So I was really curious how the offense would look. I I remember writing or saying something before the season, if Mahomes can do what Brady did and just take those easy throws and and dominate the, the holes in the defense, he would be completely unstoppable at a level that would be unparalleled in the league. And that's exactly what he did in the second half of the Super Bowl. So I was curious where they would be. I thought that I, with everybody else, that division looked loaded. It kind of face planted collectively, but uh, I don't think, I don't remember how I picked them. If I picked them to win the division. So I probably was wrong on that one, but I, I, I couldn't have picked the chiefs to miss the playoffs. I can't imagine I would have done that. So, so you get a pass from Travis Kelsey. I, I aren't we all looking for a pass from Travis Kelsey? <laughs> Hey, so what what do you got coming up now? You're probably home for a week or two, and then I imagine you're going off to the Combine. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to be home for a couple of weeks, um, get some family time that I sorely missed. Uh, I was on the road for 14 out of 15 days. That was kind of tough, um, so really enjoying the time uh, with the girls, and then the Combine for about a week, and then come back and get into free agency, basically, then the owner's meetings. So it's kind of like a, a week-by-week off-season type of deal. Um, but got some stories that I'm working on, uh, That one that'll come out early next week that I'm looking forward to. I've already done a good amount of, le- amount of legwork on it, and then some others that'll hopefully come together around the combine, just some league-wide stuff. You know, I'm still I'm a lot more focused on free agency and the guys who are in the league than the guys who are you know going to be in the league two months from now. Um, that's just where I have my focus. And I, and I think there's a lot of fascinating stories. The quarterback stuff is, is certainly one of them, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this off season because I think the draft is really interesting with three potential franchise caliber quarterbacks, you know, some sneaky, good prospects who could get in on day two, like a Hendon hooker, like what does the league look at, at him? Like, uh, and then, you know, the potential quarterback carousel is fascinating every single year. Jeff Howe from The Athletic, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, my friend. Take care, and we will talk again very, very soon. All right, thanks for having me, man. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. One more reminder, this episode of the Patriots Report has been brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Bet BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.